0: Good afternoon to everyone and thank you for choosing to spend your afternoon here with Emmanuel and myself. For those who don't know, I'm Patricia Rogan faber and I do a podcast show to help people maximise property values. It's called Maximising Property Values and it's on your popular podcast listening platforms. Um, So you can find it on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, on Audible. Normally that was actually a monologue so it was just me talking and I still do that once a month on the first of every month but since November I've added a guest series to the podcast show and I've had some amazing guests and I've got an even more amazing guest today, Emmanuel Ezekiel. So let us try to get to know Emmanuel a little bit more today so those of you who come into this room On a Wednesday, you know the drill. So first we have some kind of like questions, not usually property related, but with Emmanuel today, I am going to let him choose how he answers those questions because I think whatever he says, it's going to be really, really interesting. And then we'll go into the property stuff. So who is, who is he? Emmanuel Ezekiel is an international speaker and an award-winning specialist in property development, mortgages and wealth creation. He has been investing and developing property for over 25 years in London and the surrounding areas. And that is as much as I'm going to say about him. But Emmanuel, welcome to Maximizing Property Values.
1: Thank you for the invitation.
0: (laughs) Thank you for coming. But before we go into your property activities, into your main property activities, let us get to know you better. So I've got, normally I have like two questions for people. Sometimes they branch out into possibly three or four. But guess how many I've got for you today? Huh? (laughs) I've got four questions. So these don't have to be property related, because after the questions, we'll go into your property stuff. But let me read them out one by one. So the first one is this. What what do you admire most in people? And leading on from that, who do you admire most? Over to you.
1: Oh, wow. That's a very uh, open question. So what do I admire most in people? I think the thing I admire the most is energy, the ability to smile in adversity, to always try and find the positive in a negative. Um, so I admire people that have great energy and look for things that can go right as opposed to things that can go wrong. So I try and put myself near people that have that kind of energy because it's much easier to stay in a positive state, a positive mindset, to be happy when you have people around you that have that energy in the first place. You know, energy is infectious, uh, good or bad. uh, And if you're attracted around people that have that kind of energy, you tend to spark off it and keep yourself in a better state of mind uh, most of the time. So that's what I look for in people is, is, and their values. I look for people with underlying values of wanting to help and serve other people. We grow, we develop, we become better by helping other people first and foremost. So those are the things I think I look for first. And who I tend to admire, well, I think if you heard me speak before, uh, I think the biggest change to my life has been Tony Robbins in terms of his energy, how he speaks, how he puts things into play. So he says he is a force for good, which I truly believe. And I've adopted a lot of his principles I've adapted them and wherever I can give him recognition if I'm repeating something that he's taught me embedded in me. So he's a person I admire probably the most uh, out of all the self-development, training, help and guidance I've actually had over very many years, even though I've had some great teachers mentors, including Keith Cunningham, Robert Kiyosaki, T. Eker, to just name a few, but he stands out really head and shoulders above anybody and everybody.
0: And that is an amazing endorsement, considering the names that you have mentioned. Okay, great stuff. Thank you. Right. So question number two. This is like the flip side of the first one. What do you detest the most in people? And I'm not asking you who you do detest. And and really, like, like you did with that one, Why is it that you, you, maybe detest is a strong word, but something that you really would go out of your way to avoid, if you see it in a person, that's what I'm aiming at.
1: Okay, the word I hate the most in our dictionary is the word can't, because anything and everything is possible. When somebody says, I can't do something, uh, or you can't do something, that probably inspires me even more. So really negative energy, anybody that, um always looks for the negative in every situation. So an optimist is somebody that looks for an opportunity and possibility in every opportunity. A, a pessimist looks for every reason for something to go wrong. So I'm always looking for uh, the optimist, not the pessimist. Um, I really don't like negative energy. I steer myself away from it. It's... It's something that can be infectious. So I do my utmost to not be around people that have that kind of negative energy that say no, can't. Uh, I believe if you ask long enough and hard enough and you go to the right people, you'll always find an answer to any particular solution, whatever the problem is. And I've been through many adverse situations in my life. uh, And it's having that positive energy rather negative that's helped me navigate through it. And if I stuck with the negative side, that would certainly have been a really detrimental to me. So a- anybody that has that negative connotation, that negative energy of looking at what things can go wrong. So there's a saying between a whether you're cynical or skeptical, skeptical means you're open-minded to see if something will work. Cynical means you never give yourself an opportunity to. So that's what I, t- I try my utmost to steer away from as far as I can as often as I can. Uh, in terms of a person, I, I can't really put my finger on one particular person. there has been many people over the years that have had that, and I've, I've navigated myself from that uh, situation.
0: Oh, honestly, I am just laughing, because you know what, do you, do you know what, Emmanuel? Uh, that, that you probably are, are, are not surrounded by too many lawyers because lawyers are trained to look for everything that can go wrong because once you once you can then spot the things that can go wrong you can then put in place the things that will make sure they do not go wrong
1: (laughs) well i i I do like lawyers but i like lawyers with a can-do commercial attitude that understand what i'm trying to achieve so that's about personal relationships so the lawyers i tend to work with i tell them i tend to tell them and ask them what I want to achieve and how I can achieve it, rather than look for the issue. So lawyers are there to help us and protect us, but you also have commercially minded lawyers that look at things differently, that help you be able to grow and develop your business. So I do understand about lawyers, not all of them are negative. They are trained to look for what might trip you up, but at the same time, if they're commercially minded, they can also show you how to make something even better than where it was.
0: Exactly. Oh, yeah. I could not agree more. Excellent. Right. Now, your third question. If you had a chance for a do-over, what incident stroke time in your life in the past would you change and how?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So I would probably say everything that I did until the age of about 23, 24 was a platform and a foundation that I needed to have, because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have realized uh, how much better things could be. So I would probably say at the age of probably 23, 24, when I started my personal development growth, I would have gotten into property and finance much, much quicker than I did. I didn't start so much later on in life in that sort of area. Uh, so I would have got myself educated much faster and I would be in a completely different place to where I am now. People don't really understand the investment in yourself and your education and raising your financial IQ. So just going back to your lawyer situation, if you have something wrong that you need help with in terms of legal matter, you go to a lawyer. If you have something wrong with your health, you go to a doctor or a specialist. But it just amazes me how very few people take the time to invest in their own education, their own financial IQ to accelerate their journey. So, although I did lots of self development, it took me a while to get the knowledge to propel forward. And property would have, was one of those areas that um, when I was coming through the ranks, it was quite a lot easier in lots of areas. You could get mortgages of 100% loan to value, 125% loan to value. And I didn't maximize on those opportunities as much as I should have done during that period.
0: wow Hmm. okay now your fourth
1: question
0: what is your
1: horoscope sign (laughs) well i am a typical one of these in every shape and every form Uh, and i recently did a contribution compass that also uh, highlights that i am very much within that star sign so i am an aries through and through, in every shape and form. If a typical Aryan, I am that person.
0: Well, there we have it. Because when I was, when I was doing my research on you, I did not find that. So people in this room, people listening to the podcast, you have heard it. Emmanuel is an Aryan. Is it Aryan? Aries?
1: An an Aries
0: an Aries. He's an Aries through and through. So that is probably something new that people didn't know about you. Right. Okay. So let's go to your property stuff. Now you've been developing stuff for
1: decades,
0: Yeah, amazingly
1: so. uh, I've been developing for a long period of time. And I will tell you that when I first started development, I did it completely and utterly wrong. I went from being a um, buy-to-let landlord and going from simple refurbishment into development. And the leap from one to the other was monumental. I cannot (laughs) begin to express the difference in what happened. Uh, And my first project uh, didn't go according to plan. It was, I'd say it's a bit of a nightmare. So we the first project that we did was a PD, a conversion from office to residential. We got recommended to a builder that we didn't verify. Um, at one point, the building was completely stripped, except for the front of the building, which was, it's a, if you can imagine, it's a terraced building, so you've got two offices either side and the builder took down the whole of the building including all the floors and the rear and just left the front facade. How that building didn't collapse inwards is uh, beyond me. There was one steel just holding everything together uh, and I was just by pure luck and opportunity we got recommended to the most amazing QS and contract administrator that held my hand and showed me the process all the way through. Now that cost me then we're talking many years ago. Thirty thousand for that professional service there and then. That was a very small investment for my education. One way or another, you're going to pay for it, and I certainly paid for it in increased cost, in increased uh, finance cost, uh, building cost, and professional fees. Um, so that's why I'm quite um, heavy on getting the education or getting somebody that has that education to help you navigate through that particular process. So that's how I started learning about the intricacies of development and then from there, started to get a professional team together, understanding the importance of a great contract administrator, a QS, mechanical engineering, party wall surveyors, all the different professionals that you need to put together within a particular project. And each project is different. The professionals will be different depending on the location, depending on the kind of building that you're doing is it a conversion is it a new build is it a part and part build each one has its different complexities are you building a basement are you coming from the ground is it a house is it a flat is it a combination of commercial and residential so that's been learned over a period of time with many different partners so most of the stuff i do uh, is all joint ventures in one shape or form uh, and that's for many reasons one you get the collaboration, the network that they have of their professional team. You minimize the risk. Uh, and I'm also able to accelerate my knowledge dramatically. I'd rather be, as I said, on 10, 20 projects, earning 10, 20% than one project, earning and learning 100%. You're able to accelerate your team, your knowledge, and minimize your risk by doing so. So that's been part of my ethos for quite some time. Do
0: you know, I, I, think, I think my mouth is still wide open when you described that first development of just having the front of the property left and everything else gutted oh my god i I get i'm speechless because um i suppose you're even really lucky that the neighbours didn't didn't actually know what was going on such that they didn't call the council who could have then condemned the whole building and shut it down and maybe carried out certain works at your expense oh it sounds like a nightmare you did say it was a nightmare oh
1: gracious it, it was a nightmare I learned a lot of things on that particular job even at one point having to shovel concrete in my suit because the builder hadn't turned up so I've I've learned a lot. One of the things I started off was on a building site, so I'm a heating and ventilating engineer, so I worked on a building site, so I understand all the different trades. Uh, and one of my more recent projects was a similar kind of build, where it was uh, in a muse between two office buildings on a one-way street, and the difference in what we had to do there, where we took the building down brick by brick. Uh, the support mechanism, if you can imagine, uh, transformers the, 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 the film that's how we had to hold up the building the amount of steels holding up the building from each side to make sure there was no movement and that's difference between my first experience and having the knowledge to how to do it correctly with the right team in place so a very different uh, scale that that first build was probably around about half a million this particular builds about two and a half million so a very different kind of construction process and method and they say good knowledge comes from uh, you know bad experience bad you know, that's how we we learn sometimes we our greatest skills are from the things that we didn't hope to go well
0: so emmanuel uh, one of you one of the things that you admire the most in people is when they when they set out to help. Now you are part of a uh, peak um, performance property, and there's a link above for people in the room. And for people who are going to be listening to this um, on the podcast so they can't actually see the link, you want to go to wwwpeak p e a k hyphen p hyphen property dot co dot uk so that's www peak p hyphen property dot co dot uk where you can find a lot of information about what we're just about just to start talking about so you guys this is what you do isn't it because based on your experiences and seeing what you went through and how much it cost you you've set this up to to help people not make the same mistakes do you want to tell us a little bit more about peak performance property
1: yeah so when it comes to to education training mentorship that the average training course doesn't work and the reason why it doesn't work you go to learn a strategy over a weekend and then you're expected to be an expert in that strategy it doesn't work so regardless what property strategy that you do each one of them takes time and the development takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months as a minimum So unless you've gone through a number of projects yourself, you won't know what's coming up. So we do a a mentorship program where we help and guide people through different areas of their different property strategies to help them navigate what that is. So that's what what, what it's set up. And you have the collaboration of other similar uh, mentees that are similar sort of level, they're not beginners, um, because, We can't help beginners that much. They really need to be in property. We want people to accelerate where they are. And if you've got other people that are already much more advanced, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So we need to make sure that people are all like-minded, they're similar, and we can help them grow and expand, whatever that strategy is. So we focus on what we call your measured journey. So we start with OPP, which is other people's property, which is things like rent to rent, HMO, that sort of stuff. We then go from that to taking the cash flow from that to acquiring your own assets. So you start building your own assets. Once you start doing that you have some knowledge and experience, we then go into my my favourite drug which you've heard many times before, Opium, which is other people's money. And other people's money doesn't mean other investors' money. The bank is other people's money. Mortgages are other people's money. And then once you've got the knowledge and skill, you can then use that knowledge and skill and expertise. because you've got a number of properties under your belt, you're managing them, you're controlling them, you're owning them. You can then start to use investors or high net worth clients' money. Then to build portfolio acquisitions, rather than buying one property at a time or one flat at a time, you can buy four, five, six at a time under one lease or one freehold. So you build your property portfolio quicker. And then once you have all of that knowledge, you then go into what I call the the most risky of all the property strategies, which is property development. And it doesn't matter where you are on that timeline, you can go up or down it. So people that don't have cash flow might want to go for other people's property. People that already have cash flow might want to start building their assets. It depends where you are on that matrix. And each one of us will have a different journey at different times and what we need. And by understanding the different methods of making money in property, depending on the market, You can adjust up or down.
0: And that's what you guys help people with in peak performance, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Okay, so honestly, you know, people go and have a look at that website. It's very attractive. It's very easy to, to, to understand. And you can even see all the things that you can get. And you guys offer a free strategy call as well, don't you? where, you know, you 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 set aside 30 minutes to talk to people about how you might be able to assist them. So, you know, if you are that person, you're not a beginner, you've already started in your property business, and you want to accelerate, you know, your progress, where better should you go? So, you've heard it, www.peakpeak P-E-A-K, p-property.co.uk. Hyphen hyphen so, Emmanuel, tell us, please. Can you just take us through? I think this would be great, actually. Maybe you, I, I, maybe a really good project that you did that filled you with joy and you know was completely successful, and then maybe another one that wasn't so good because quite often, you know, people, people take the view that it's plain sailing in property and it isn't plain sailing in property, is it? What, what you can do is what you mentioned, which is if things go wrong, look for a solution, which is why I'm kind of like, you know, I'd love for you to talk about something that maybe went wrong and what you were able to do to bring it back on course. And to actually make it work, you know, at the end of the project, um, because you know people need to just know that you know things can go up and down in property, but it's how you address your downs that will determine how successful you are at the end of the
1: day. So yeah. So over thirty years, there's been quite a few different uh, success stories, and there've been quite a few ones that haven't been so so successful. So it's not going to be that difficult to to recollect. So I'll talk about one of the ones that was probably, um, I'll talk about two that were that were really good. So one was again, a joint venture. Somebody approached me to uh, help with the, the cost of planning to get some a uh, commercial unit into storage. Uh, uh, there was a lot of storage needed in the area. So we put in plans, for, uh, I think it was 26,000 square feet from the current building. We submitted it to the planners. Um, they came back and said, No, we won't allow that amount, uh, but we will allow it if you double the size. So, never had that before where the planners come back and ask us to increase the size. So, that was um, music to our ears. We only had it for nine months. Uh, we sold it for a profit of a million in a nine-month period. Didn't build anything. So that's probably uh, the nicest and, and sweetest deal that I've done previously. Uh, another one of the deals that I did not so long ago was a nursing home. Uh, we bought that. It was vacant for, well, we, we did an option on it for 306000 We got planning uh, for five units. Once we got the planning, we... Um, completed but because of how we did the planning we knew there was another way to increase it so we increased that from five units to seven units and then when we started the build we noticed there was even more space in the loft so we then created the loft space into another units so we created that into an eight unit scheme uh, the total cost of purchase and build was circa a million and the gdv is just over 2.1 million so those are what i call Two um, really nice uh, opportunities that happen, but I can talk about one that's happening right now that's not so, so great. So Emmanuel,
0: can I just can I just please um, like sure. um, interject? Now, what I love about what you've said now is is, is something that I really want people to bear in mind. Um, because I think it's really important. So you spoke about the option and how you paid 306,000 pounds for that option, because there are lots of people going and, and, you know, obviously it can be done, but how realistic, you know, that is, 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 is the main question. You know, people saying, Oh, you know what you, you can get, you can, you know, go and offer somebody an option to buy their property for one pound. Now, yes people listening to this but don't don't get me wrong they can happen theoretically it, it is doable but in terms of practice if you really want to get things done i don't know about this 1 pound but here you are listening to somebody who does this a lot 306,000 pounds because bottom line is it's a commercial agreement isn't it and you, why is somebody going to anyway Can you talk us to how you got to that £306,000
1: on the option fee? I will talk how I got to it. But if I explain how options work in a different scenario, people will tend to understand it. So you've heard of people like HMV and other companies like that and Debenhams, where the company's been sold for £1. When it comes to commercial businesses, people understand you can buy a business and you take over the business for £1 and you take over the the debt of the company so an option is just the the right to purchase something but not the not the obligation so when it comes to property there's many ways you can use an option to secure it sometimes it's as low as a pound and sometimes it's more than that so on this one we didn't pay a pound we paid a thousand pounds because they wanted a bit more of a commitment and then obviously we have then the costs of incurring the planning. So there's some risk on our part. So the owner knows that we're putting some, what we call skin in the game, and they get an increase in the price if we get planning. So the property was worth probably around about 250. And we gave them an uplift to give us the time to get the planning. So it's something that we do on on a regular basis. As a developer, I will often secure land. I've done a number in the last few months for just the pound. Uh, So I did one recently uh, the purchase price is 1.937253, to be exact. It's five units, it's four flats, a freehold, and, uh, and then terrace, and that's subject to planning, and that's actually going through as we speak. So, But the planning costs on that are around about 70,000. So we're controlling the property for a pound, and the owner gets a higher price based on me actually getting the actual planning. So that's the the, the basic essence of it and it's understanding what the person needs so if you're giving somebody an uplift on the price then it's quite often they will um, be receptive to an option kind of agreement but i also use options where there's negative or low equity and then just taking control of the property and knowing how to sweat the assets so it's a very useful instrument and tool as a property investor as part of your arsenal of tools of how to control or secure property so that that's how most developers or sophisticated property investors control property through options, lease options, sandwich options, or various kind of option agreements.
0: Oh, great stuff. Thank you. So to to, to get an option that really works for you, like, you know, the one pound ones, I guess, we're talking about the same thing. For me, it's it's about being able to get it done so if somebody wants to do that then they should really i guess you know like most people in property will say if you want to do something go to somebody who's done it and done it again successfully and get them to walk you through that process because then your chances of success are going to be that much higher but you know going back to this other deal that sounds just absolutely amazing so for a purchase price because i thought when you said you know op- option fee of 306000 i thought the purchase price would be closer to a million but 250000 and you 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 you're getting 2.1 or the gdv is
1: 2.1 that is amazing well that that, that was lucky so part of the luck was, so we, we worked the numbers based on five units. So this, the scheme worked on a five unit scheme, but as we work through the planning, so originally we were gonna do it as five large HMOs uh, because that's what the market looked like it, it dictated. But while we're going through the planning and we, we changed architect, um, I changed it to a different architect and they came up with a, a better revised scheme that meant we could increase the, the GDV reduce the actual flats and come up with seven and the last part of it was again was was sheer luck is that we got into the roof we realized there was so much space in the roof space that we could do a further application and get a studio Um, and when we were building the studio we realized it was big enough to turn into a one bed so we did so those two things uh, added quite a lot to it so we made money anyway on the five units but getting the extra uplift from the seven to the eighth unit made it a very um attractive and every now and again you get one of those projects that go your way uh, and you make a, a bigger margin than you had, you had anticipated so that's one of the good ones oh it
0: sounds very good like you know that the property that just keeps on giving from from um, five to seven to eight. Um, but so so, did you have the large HMOs in there in the end or, or did you completely just change them all to
1: flats? Uh, so we changed them all to flats. And well, yeah, as you say, it keeps on giving and it does keep on giving. So we've converted half of it into SA. So in addition to all of that, we've got the capital allowances that we can now claim against. So we retained that property. We didn't sell it, we retained it. So we now got the capital allowances. Uh, so we've got a hybrid between uh, buy to let SA in that block. Um, so it works really well.
0: Oh, it sounds amazing. It just sounds absolutely amazing. Right, so sorry, I, I, I did interrupt you. You were gonna talk about um, a couple that maybe hadn't gone um, according to plan and, and what you did to bring it back on track or bring them back
1: on track. Okay, so I can talk about one right now that's been going on for a couple of years and it's probably been a project from hell. So we we, we bought a project that had planning already. We we enhanced the planning process itself um, through another recommendation from a very reliable source. um, We engaged a builder. They started the build and they didn't protect the site properly. They didn't do the Um, original digging out properly so we had a number of issues with the party wall even though it is a block of flats Uh, you still need party wall agreements even with a block of flats if you're building a basement which we were Uh, if the angle between the bottom of the basement and their edge of their building is within a certain degree you have to have party wall agreements so we almost had a landslide so we had to get a company in to come and shore up that particular property uh, that contractor went bust, we appointed another contractor, and then we had COVID. We've also had Brexit, so we've had time delays, construction delays, increasing costs, increasing labour, and the second contractor has now gone bust. So we're two thirds of the way at the project, and we have to complete the project. Our existing funder is getting very antsy, um, the cost to uh, complete is around about 250, 300,000 pounds more than the original contractor. So we're having to navigate through that either with the existing lender or to use another lender to refinance out. So not every project goes the same and a profit on that particular job from when we started or around about 850,000, I would say we would be lucky to break even on that particular project. So not every project goes the right way Uh, and that's why you need to have your profit and cost of a minimum of 20 percent because even when you have that things can go against you and you can't always come out unscathed that's why i'm pretty passionate about making sure people have the right team around them and because i do have partners and because it's a joint venture the loss is is small to each one of us that's the part of joint venturing so when you make money you share that But when you make a loss you also share that as well so that's the important of minimizing your risk
0: oh thank you Um, so uh, just on that point uh, what what type of insurance do you um, put in place when you are doing your um, developments
1: well there's a number of insurances you can put in place but you can't often insure against the builder going bust or increasing costs or materials. Um, very few people will insure against that. So you would normally insure um, the construction. So, and again, depending on what kind, whether you're doing a, build, a design and build, or a JCT contract, um, you, you will have insurance if the contracts that to have to do with the construction, Depends on the construction method, if it's steel frame, if it's concrete, you'll then have warranties that you need to provide for the new owners when they move in. Like build warranty, um, so there's a, a number of different insurances you have to have in place between you or the contractor, or with you, the bank, and the contractor.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank thank you. Um, it, it just sounded really nightmarish about you know nearly having a landslide, and um, and I'm assuming uh, you know you guys picked that up you know based on experience. How how would one um,
1: Begin to spot a landslide. So, with every site, you have a project manager, you have a contract administrator, you have health and safety. So, between those three, they would normally pick up any issues to do with uh, the construction method, and that was picked up uh, by our uh, contract administrator and uh, the health and safety at the time. So, that was picked up pretty early um, through. Uh, the, the, the weekly or biweekly visits where photographs are taken. Uh, now we're putting on all of our sites time-release cameras, so we can view them on a daily basis to just see what's going on. Just gives you a bit more control, especially if you have a few different sites that you're working on, and if they're not within easy reaching distance. So those are the things that we're doing now. Modern technology is allowing easier navigation and remote viewing of your sites.
0: So remote viewing time release cameras. Um, Again, you know, just in case there's somebody listening to this and wanting to know more, are there any particular cameras that you um, might, you know, which one works for you if you're able to share? (coughs) And, And if it does, what exactly about it do you really, really like?
1: Okay, so when it comes to technology, I am what's called a technology dinosaur. So I don't, oh, deal, like me. <laughs> with, I don't deal with that stuff. What basically a time-release camera does, if you're building a portfolio, you can literally in two or three minutes, show anybody your whole project from start to finish, or how it started, how it finished. So if you're building a portfolio, you're building a reputation, you're going to investors, you're going to lenders, to show them how you built the project from start to finish, it's a pretty good tool to have also by having cameras that you can access, which you can do almost now remotely from almost anywhere. It gives you the ability to just log on and look at the site, what's going on at any particular time, whether, whether you know, the, the trades are getting there on time, whether they're leaving early, uh, if they're actually working or not while they're on site. So it just gives you the ability to look at your site remotely. Uh, and there's many cameras that you can do that now, and they're relatively inexpensive. Almost all of them now are pretty good.
0: Okay, great stuff. Yeah, because um, I think Swan S W A N N. Um, I've I've used that in the past, and they're actually quite good. Um, the software um, they used to have an amazing piece of software. I think that was called Home View, no Swan View, Swan View Link, and then they changed it to Home View, and the, the latest one is just crap. Um, just not very, very good. Um, So, yeah, even if you are, you know, a technophobe, like I am, uh, Emmanuel says he's a technic, he's a technological dinosaur, which I think I am as well. Um, Anything to do with technology, I don't really get. But, you know, these cameras, yeah, sound, they sound really, really good, especially if you're doing developments um, and stuff. So, we've heard from you, you know, this one that's, oh, it just yeah, it doesn't sound good. So how are you actually managing the um, partner relationship in, in in this nightmare one that you're talk, talking about, which has been hit by Brexit, been hit by COVID, been hit by sounds like everything really. Um, how 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 fraught or not is the relationship with the with your investors or, or your partners, not investors, partners?
1: Uh, well, it's it's not fraught in as much that they're fully aware and they're part of the project on a weekly and monthly basis, so they're fully aware of what's going through. We're all in this on an equal basis, all have similar sort of knowledge, experience, expertise. So w- w- it's just one of those projects that just hasn't gone anywhere uh, the, the way that we w- thought it would done. Having said that. Um, While we're going through the build, we have just increased the end value by about another 100,000 because we've changed a two bedroom unit into a three bedroom unit. So there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So we're looking at ways to how we can actually maximize the GDV while we're building it out. So that's part of having the knowledge, experience, expertise. We've got a really great project manager. Um, I call him the Vulcan. Uh, His name is Tom. Uh, And when we talk about relationships and energy, he actually contacted me after a similar kind of interview like this uh, about a year and a half ago. And that's what I talk about when you try and help people first by giving first, you never know when somebody is going to come back with the law of recipro- reciprocity. Uh, and he's certainly somebody that's helping us grow and navigate through any real issues in any of our projects. Um, and he's been so good we've made him a director and shareholder of the business in a very short period of time. So you just never know when the next person, your next joint venture partner or partner, is gonna come from. So just came from something like this. I was talking on a development on another platform. Uh, He was listening in the background and literally contacted me because of my honesty on not doing rah-rah because everybody talks about property always being great. And it's not always great, it's a journey. It's a it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, there'll be good times, there'll be bad times. Uh, and just being honest about where you are. And I, I, I try my hardest to always say it as it is. It's not always, you know, with rose-tinted glasses, people always talk about, they go on a training course and all of a sudden they're an expert. And that drives me crazy. I hear people just regurgitate what they've heard. They talk about planning, they talk about option agreements, they talk about finance. As if they've done it they've never been through a whole project themselves but they're talking about they've done 10 and they've never done one so uh, i like (laughs) to say it is oh honestly
0: i could not help but laugh um and you're absolutely right um it's yeah it's it's a different it's a different landscape out there um especially since clubhouse and um yeah really interesting um so Tom the Vulcan, um, he, he he sounds like a really, really great guy and, um, you know, b- again, being able to know what he wanted and, and then for the pair of you to be able to, like, you know, come together and, and enhance what each person is doing, I think is, yeah, like you say, it's 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 one of the benefits really of of being honest of being open because you're then going to attract somebody who's very much like you and then you know you know immediately that you ought to be able to work together so that that surely must make things you know so much easier um now can you can you maybe give us some breakdown in figures you know a little bit more And, you know, for people listening to this, all of these, um, uh, the guest series, nobody ever knows what I'm going to ask them. The questions come. And and this is, again, how, you know, people, you can tell, you know, everyone who's been invited onto this show has been somebody that I personally respect, and I personally would listen to. And, you know, and, and I'm trying to share you know that with you know people who might be listening to the podcast or listening to the show.
1: You made we... an exception in my case this time, have you? Sorry. You made an exception in my case this time. No, no, no. <laughs>
0: I, I, I do definitely respect you, Amanda. I, I would never have, having... honestly. I, I'm one of these people. I, I would rather make a rod for my own back than do something that I didn't believe in. And no, I, I completely respect you. You know, you, you, you say it as it is, and the thing is. You're passionate about property, and and you. Know, when people are passionate about property, it you can just tell. You can just tell. And I've I've been looking forward to this because I've i I've, I've I've also wanted to learn from from what you're going to say and, and your experience. So no, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. You know. Um, so um, so can you, can you maybe, you know, give, break something down for us, you know, to, you know, like how much, you know, your party wall surveyor might cost on a project that maybe starts out at, you know, I don't know, maybe purchase price of 250, how much your engineers will cost, um, you know, those kind of things, just to give people an idea. And obviously, again, if I may just say, you know, for people listening to this, If you want to go into developments, find somebody who does it all the time, who can hold your hand through that process. And we are talking to somebody who does developments, been doing it for more than 25 years in London and the surrounds. And it sounds like even further, you know, for the use of remote cameras and just talk to them and see how they can help you through your
1: journey. Anyway, back to you, Emmanuel. So with, with any project that you have, it really depends on what you're building. So if you're building a house compared to a block of flats, you won't necess- necessarily need a mechanical engineer to design it for you. If you're doing a block of flats, where you've got eight, nine, ten uh, flats, you will need a mechanical engineer to design the system for you because it's very different in terms of rules and regulations and compliance. So an M&E engineered on a block of flats could be anywhere from seven and a half to 15,000 pounds. Again, structural engineer if you're building a house compared to, to flats, a structural engineer could be anywhere from seven and a half to ten, fifteen, twenty thousand pounds, depending on how complex it is. If you're doing a conversion, so the pub conversion that I did, uh, we had a structural engineer that started off around about 18,000 pounds and that was based on uh, the basement, which was the beer cellar. We had to increase the subfloor so in terms of increasing the subfloor, there's a lot of um, support we had to do. And as we took the, and the building, uh, additional walls had to come down, chimney breasts had to be done, different structures. That went up to about 25, 26,000 because they had to do a number of different site visits, make some amendments, make some amendments to the plans. We had to do some uh, underpinning. So it depends on the project that you actually have. And that's why your contingency is so important. So depending on whether you're doing a new build or you're doing a refurbishment, and the kind of refurbishment you're doing, uh, you will definitely go into your contingency. You know, then you have your architect. So people think when an architect finishes design and gets you your planning, that that's finished. Well, no, the architect's gonna help you have to help you discharge planning conditions. He's gonna have to get a design ready to be tendered for the builder with a specification. So even your post-planning fees could be seven and a half to 15,000 or more, depending on the project you have, just with your architect. Then you'll have health and safety. That'll be probably another two and a half to 3,000 pounds, if not more. You will then have things like your um, building control, whether you're building houses or flats, and they'll charge you so much per project. Then you'll have your build warranty, which can be anything from 1,500 to 3,000 pounds per unit. So. Each one of these adds up and that's where most inexperienced new bees on come in, they, they get the bill cost, but they don't understand the soft costs. And the soft costs could be anywhere from fifteen to twenty percent of your total cost. So if you've got a bill cost of something like one point five million and then you've got another three hundred thousand pounds worth of soft costs you haven't allocated, including SIL or Section 106 or anything like that. That will have a massive impact on your cash flow and your profit margin.
0: Wow. Um, yeah. So, you know, just thinking about all of these costs, you know, for people who um, um, want to do developments, apparently there's a new levy. Um, um, we were talking about it, it, you know, earlier this morning. I know nothing about it um developers levy that is being thought about um for developments how do you as a developer see the future of developments going forward because come june we've got some changes to building regs um you know if people are going to be converting or building um and then we've got you know potentially another levy coming on top of cil and section you know 106s and all of those things how do you see the future of developments of property developments
1: uh, development is definitely getting trickier for lots of reasons and it's not just you know first part is the planning the other part is negotiating with the landowner third part is dealing with the agents then you've got obviously the additional costs that you have to incur. So part of the development is learning your trade and working out how you can then navigate within the market with all of these different constraints. Cause I don't know any other business where you're being given a ceiling as to how much you can earn based on the value that you provide. Um, it just seems in this country, whether you're a, a landlord, a buy to let investor, or a developer, it's just a dirty word that we're not allowed to make money compared to any other business as offering value in any shape or form. You know, you go to a coffee shop that buys coffee for ten pence and sells it for three pounds, and nobody complains that they're making, you know, two hundred ninety percent margin on their coffee. But when it comes to development, for some reason, um, we are treated very differently compared to any other business, and it only seems to be in the UK, anywhere else around the world. It doesn't seem to happen that way. So it's as a business, you have to adapt with the business and we will find different ways and different solutions and creative ways around it once we know what those rules and regulations are and to overcome it. You know, there are ways of still not paying things like section 106, if you have the right people and the right consultants around you, if you know what you're doing. But those consultants might cost you 10 or 15,000 in the process. Is it money well spent? The answer for me is yes. I I have this phrase that says, if you think the cost of good advice is expensive, try the cost of poor or no advice, or even worse, your own advice. (laughs) Oh, yes.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you, Emmanuel. your own advice. You know, I should really take that on board. Um, I'm often advising myself. Um, And also, actually, it reminds me of a saying that we were taught in law school. Oh, a lawyer who um, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client.
1: I've so, heard that many times before, and it's <laughs>
0: <great>. <laughs> so so true. Um, right, great stuff. Oopsie, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so, we're looking, we, so we've, we've, we've had to look at some of the costs that people might be overlooking, which is, again, you know, I cannot overemphasise that if people are doing something for the first time, first time ever, they really must go talk to somebody who has done it so many times before, even if they think they know what they're doing, you know, get that person to walk you through that project, a.k.a mentoring so you guys offer mentoring as well don't you so can, can you just tell us a little bit more about how the mentoring process goes as opposed to the mastermind um and how you know, and if people are thinking about it how they can get in
1: touch so so the mentoring process is is by application we won't take on a, we want to know that we can help you on your journey if you don't have the right skill set if you don't have the more importantly the right mindset we're not going to be able to help you So you've got to come with something first and then we will help you navigate as to what is the right strategy for you. Because most people think they want one particular strategy when in reality they need to start with another strategy completely. So that's part of what we do. So in terms of analogy, it's like, if there was something wrong with you, would you go on the internet, research it and prescribe your own medicine? The answer is no. But when it comes to property, for some reason people think they can go and research it and then apply it. You wouldn't do a medical procedure on yourself after researching on the internet. And people are very penny wise and pound foolish when it comes to property. And property, if you don't get it right, can really severely hurt you financially if you don't know what your numbers are. So the investment at the beginning, same when you do a building your foundation is the basis of the kind of construction, the kind of building and how big the building is, you can build. It's got to be solid. You have to invest in that in the beginning. There are no shortcuts. You have to spend that time getting that knowledge or associating with somebody that has that knowledge and expertise to help you navigate through that. You can certainly accelerate every single journey. You know, I said, Tony Robbins being the greatest influence for me and he talks about modeling and modeling is finding somebody that already has the results that you want and finding out how they did it and copying what they did and you'll get very similar results. You might not be as good as they are, but you won't be far off it because you're modeling that success already. You're not reinventing the wheel. So that's what I've done for the majority of my whole life. I've, I've modeled other people, I've invested in it, I've shortcut it, and I'll give you an example. I do kickboxing. So rather than do it weekly, like most people, or once or twice a week, I went to Thailand and I trained for five to six hours every day for six weeks. I got that knowledge, I got that experience, I got that expertise in a very short period of time, rather than just waiting five, six years to learn that particular skill. I just wanted to shortcut it. And I did that with a series of Muay Thai professional fighters to do that. And that's just one way of giving example how you can accelerate anything that you do by going to the expert and helping you. Did it hurt me? Yeah. I had the crap kicked out of me for six weeks, but I got to the skill that I wanted to.
0: Whoa. Wow. In Thailand. Wow. And that's the kind of mindset. Because, yeah, lots of people will talk about wanting to accelerate, wanting to do this, wanting to do that. But again, it's, some people say it because they've heard other people talk about it and if you're not ready for that yet maybe not the best thing for you to do but if you want to do it quickly you know you're into developments you want to really really kind of like move quickly you know who to go and talk to now you do have a question Emmanuel what somebody has said do you do flats and houses I think from what you've been saying the answer is yes Do you prefer one or the other, or does it not matter?
1: Good question, and yes, I do. I prefer to do houses. They're easier, quicker, less uncertainty, less moving parts, less people you need to engage. Um, But flats can be more profitable. But yes, houses are certainly uh, a preferred option, but you can't always find enough houses Uh, to build in one particular area. So I I don't like building one house at a time. It's too much energy. I'd rather build a block of flats. Uh, But if I can build five, six houses and make a similar profit margin, I would always go for a uh, a house if I can.
0: Great stuff. I don't know if you've heard as well. So people have been looking into um, what might be going into the queen's speech and apparently rent controls are a topic of some sort or other do you have any views on this do you have any um you know how might that affect your
1: business going forward if at all so anything that happens through legislation that has an impact on serviceability and the ability for people to pay will have a knock-on impact in terms of your business model if you're in property. So if there's a cap on rental, bear in mind if you're an investor, banks, bank societies do a calculation to work out affordability. And if that's not going to increase or is controlled, that's gonna hinder your ability to refinance in the future. It's gonna hinder your ability to draw out equity in the future. So it will have an impact. So once we know what that might be, then as property investors, you norm, we normally come together, we work out what the solutions may be. For every problem, there's normally a solution. Sometimes there aren't. So if we talk about section 21, there was a solution that you had to change from what you are, from being ownership in your own name. You had to incorporate or put a different strategy in place. So once we know what is in the white paper, and it could be, and this is just my cynical side, is that um, Conservatives are losing quite a lot of votes to the Labour currently. I think that's quite a good um, way to maybe pull Labour voters back over to the Conservative by talking about rent control whether it gets implemented or not, because lots of things that come into the Queen's speech don't always come to fruition, although they talked about. So it could be a political um, stone that's been thrown to, to help the Tories, which are going through a very torrid time in terms of their policies and what they're doing currently. Um, but we will only know once we know exactly what's happening and what the timescales are. You know, they talked about a year ago that they're going to be getting rid of the ability for freeholders to charge a massive premium for marriage value that's supposed to be coming in nothing's really progressed further about that in the last year or so so a lot of things are talked about but not all a lot of things that are really actioned i
0: couldn't agree more so you know you've just mentioned about section 24 um regarding mortgage interest um deductibility um um, relief um in in terms of uh, section 21 again you know there's been lots of talk about abolishing um section 21 um you know no fault evictions uh, procedure um again what do you think you know obviously nobody has like you know a a kind of crystal ball but you know from where you are what do you think
1: is going to happen with that it's hard to say i think it probably will be abolished there's so much weight against landlords and what we represent and no, there are tens of thousands of amazing landlords and one or two as a percentage that don't really do the right thing by the tenants and I think we'd be the average good landlord investor has been tarnished by the brush of the ones that aren't which is often happens um but we're in business and things are always going to change. Legislation is always going to change. We're going to have to be nimble and adapt accordingly and adjust our business model, depending what's thrown at us.
0: Yes. So nimble, we might need to adjust. But first of all, we need to have that knowledge. So, you know, everyone just keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, listen to it and, um, you know, go get the right advice at the right time. So, you know, people, if you're not already following Emmanuel and you're on Clubhouse, please just tap on his face and follow him and click on the bell icon on his profile so that when he's talking, you will be notified and then you can go listen to him. Um, because he's got a lot to share and lots of good advice at that lots of honest advice at that and do you know passion passion for me if somebody is passionate about something, they are somebody that you really want to be that you want to be close to that you want to you you want to have in your circle, because like Emmanuel said in the beginning, people infect one another, um, and, and I use the word infect, he didn't say that as, as I'm saying it, He's, it, it, but people's outlooks can be infectious, and if you move with success, you will be successful, well, invariably, um, and that really is who Emmanuel is, so you know, people, you you know how to contact him, um, www.peak-p-property.co.uk, you know, go, go do your strategy call. Emmanuel is a helper. And even if you're not ready to join his mastermind, his mentorship programme right now, at least you will get to find out about it and maybe, you know, work it into your programme. But if you're into development, really, especially in 2022, it is not a time for you to be dabbling. Do not just go dabble and do it because you've, you've seen a video on YouTube or you've heard a podcast, you know, somewhere about development, find somebody who's done it. And who will walk you through that procedure. Somebody like Emmanuel. But on that note, there's hardly anything more for me to say apart from Emmanuel. Thank you so much for doing this with me, and I've gone over time because I have just been so excited about what you've been talking about and just wanting to kind of like, you know, get in there, you know, and and allow people to listen to what you've got to, to say, to what you've got to share. So thank you very, very much for doing this with me.
1: be my pleasure, uh, thank you for inviting me.
0: <laughs> and next week, people, we have got two people We have got The Investables. They call themselves The the Investables. So if you're ever looking for, um, you know, joint venture partners, you're looking to raise finance, you want to listen to what Karen and Antoine have got to say. Because they will be here next week on Wednesday at 12 noon in The Maximising Property, pound, pound, pound locker um, so everyone thank you very very much and Randall, we'll get to see you soon
1: you will take, take care thank- have a good day thank you everyone